Just keep this one, take it with you. And uh, we're looking in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Uh, you can find it in the index or it's kind of about two-thirds in. All right. We, um, if, if you were to look with me in Matthew, let's, let's just look kind of real quick at a couple of things. It, open them up to chapter 5 and then look back at chapter 4. The last couple of verses of chapter 4 say this. He went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity among the people. So this is laying out what Jesus is going to do. He's going to go preach and teach, and he's going to heal. And then if you go to chapter 9, the last couple of verses of chapter 9 say this. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every infirmity. He went around preaching, teaching, and healing. It was the same thing. And basically between those, you have chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is doing the preaching and teaching. That's what we've been looking at. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he's doing healing and touching people and blessing their lives. And uh, so you have both in Jesus, and you can't really separate them. You have Jesus the teacher and Jesus the healer. And I know people through the centuries have tried to pull it apart to say, well, Jesus was a great teacher, a master storyteller. I like the sound of what Jesus has to say, but I'm kind of leery about all those miracle stories. Nobody could really do those, could they? Or you have people who say, well, I'm impressed with the miracles Jesus did. Wow. I mean, only God can do those things. But I don't really like how he's trying to change how I think or how I respond or who's in charge in my life. Who does he think he is? And so you, you can't really truncate these two. You can't take them apart. That Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Well, you have two kinds of people in the crowd. It says in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down, his disciples came to him. So is he, are you one of the disciples? Are you one of the crowd? Is Jesus the Lord, or is he not in your life? And in Matthew 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, you find this very same things Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 6 in what's called the Sermon on the Plain. And is it, you wonder, is, did he say it on the mountain? Did he say it on the plain? I think he said these things a lot. They were the things that really mattered to God, and they were the topics that Jesus talked about a lot. And most people have certain topics that are hot topics with them. They like to talk about certain things. Certain people you see, you'll know you'll be talking about fishing, right? Or you'll know you'll be talking about uh, engineering, or you know you'll be talking about traveling, or about food, or about sports, or something. People have passions in certain areas. Jesus had things that were close to his heart, or that were important to him, that he wanted to talk about, so he talked about them a lot. And Jesus said some wild things. So do you take him seriously, or not seriously? That might help decide if you're one of the disciples or one of the crowd because the disciples were to take him seriously. Look at it says, Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, last week, Pastor Derek got us started off well looking at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You just can't get into heaven on your own merits. Just because you think you deserve it or that you, if you think you have something to offer, you're probably not going to be there. We come into heaven as the poor in spirit, the ones who are bankrupt, and it's only by God's grace. Well, if you look at these Beatitudes as a block, there's eight of them. And the first one and the last one end up saying, blessed is something for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's in the present tense. He's talking to the disciples. He's saying, yours is the kingdom of heaven and it's present. And then the six in the middle all have a blessed is something for you will be. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will receive mercy. They're all future tense. So that you have the present and the future kingdom of Christ. Jesus is telling his disciples and all the crowd that's crowding into here that the kingdom of heaven is present with you disciples now. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. The fact that the speaker, Jesus, is the very king of kings, lord of lords, right from heaven. And he's the one talking to you. He's saying, you're in. It's good news. It's like you've just found out that somebody put your name in their will and you're going to be so rich, so well off. And someday when the conditions are right, you're going to receive all that inheritance that's been promised, all that reward. So the disciples have already received part of the kingdom of heaven now, and the full blessings will all be yours in the age to come. So it's kind of like already and not yet, all at the same time. And some of the reward is still coming. He says those who mourn will be comforted. And then verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So I want to take those one at a time, but here's the big idea. Here's what we're going to find. That the world we live in makes light of its own sin. And they make a big deal about themselves. They think a lot about themselves. In contrast, the citizens of God's kingdom take their sin seriously, but not themselves so much. And they're promised comfort and contentment in Christ. So as fully devoted followers of Christ, we're serious about sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you remember the movie Jaws? Do you remember that? I mean, there's this big shark that was pestering this, this town, and so they got uh, this shark hunter, Quint, and uh, the, uh, the, the mayor and... Um, and uh, the oceanographer are all out in this little boat looking for this shark. And so they, they have gobs of time on their hands, so they start telling stories, and they get around to telling war stories about their scars. Like the guy who goes, you know, see this one right here? Right here? That's where I ran into some barbed wire. And see this one here on my elbow? It's where I fell off my bike. And see this one on my chin? It's where I fell down. And then Quinn, the, 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 the guy goes like this. Goes, see this one right here? Everybody goes, what? goes that's where she broke my heart <laughs> yeah because all of us have these wounds that you can't see right we've suffered hurts and bruises and broken bones and disappointments and setbacks and hurts you can't see but they never heal some of them and they cause us to grieve and we don't always deal with it well Sometimes we put on this good front on the outside. People say, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm just great. And you're dying inside. And we're hurting in there, but we don't dare show it. Some of the best at, at keeping up that kind of front were the missionaries I grew up with. We had a, a, a doctor who died um, 
trying, uh, trying to do an autopsy on somebody to determine a very infectious disease, and she nicked her finger, and the next week we're having her service, and there was not one tear in the place. They all loved her, cared for her. Everybody's there. They're all grieving, but nobody dared shed a tear because victorious Christians just don't do that. They just don't cry. At least that's the, the lie that they were believing. They don't admit pain even when they're suffering deeply. And on the other side, you have Christians that are sad-faced and complaining. It's kind of like the little girl who saw this stallion, and she said to her mom, that horse must be a Christian. She said, why? He says, he has such a long face. <laughs> well, there are times to choose a positive attitude and keep life moving forward. And there are times to grieve deeply. Even when everybody else is finished with the public grief and the remembrance. And there's still things to be worked through. In fact, the Bible records two times that Jesus grieved to the point of weeping in public. Even Jesus. You remember? One was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus who he knew was having troubles, but Jesus showed up four days late. By then, in that culture, Lazarus already would have been buried. They would have had the ceremony. And Jesus shows up. He's missed the funeral, but he didn't miss out on the brokenness and the anger of his deceased sisters who met him one at a time and both said the same thing. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. You've got the power to heal, and you didn't show up in time. How could you miss? We really needed you. I'm so disappointed in you, Jesus. And Jesus said, show me to the tomb. And he stood there at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And it's the shortest verse in the Bible. You've probably memorized it. John 11:35 says, Jesus wept. He wept. Why? He wept because sin had brought death into the world and death brings loss and separation and it leaves us with longings that are never fulfilled. In fact, 700 years before Jesus was born, the Bible said that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows. Look at Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he's heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is that man of sorrows whose heart was broken time and again by you and by me. He's recorded, in fact, as having another time where he broke into tears in public. I don't know if you remember it, but it was a day we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. He's coming into from, he comes around the corner of, on the road on the Mount of Olives. It goes down into the Kidron Valley and up into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, all these people gather and some of them start to put palm branches in front of him. And some put their own robes out of deference and respect. And they put him on a young colt and they're yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Hosanna to the son of David. And halfway down the hill, Jesus stops and he 
looks into the city of Jerusalem and it says, and when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, Jesus was not spared the full human experience of dealing with disappointment and brokenness and loss and death and celebration. And the followers of Jesus Christ are not going to be spared that part of life either, the part that brings pain and grief and mourning. But the benefit is we have Jesus walking with us. He's alive in us. He cares. And the benefit of being part of his kingdom is that we can live in hope because we will be comforted. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. So there are appropriate reasons to grieve when we've lost someone precious or something important. But perhaps the best experience of personal mourning is when we come to that moment of realizing the tragedy of our own sin, the ugliness of our sin, the depth of the offense to God, and we realize that we have no hope in our own strength. Isaiah had this kind of experience in the Bible. He has a crisis. He goes to the temple. And God showed up in all of his glory. And, and Isaiah looks at it, God and goes, Oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And I have seen the king. I'm going to die is what he's saying. And God comes with it. He brings his angel and touches his unclean lips. Purifies them and says, Now go speak for me. The Apostle Paul had the same kind of struggle going in Romans 7. He's struggling with himself over what uh, Wesley called his bent towards sinning. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks to be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is saying those who mourn are blessed. We don't usually think of mourners as people who are blessed. We think they have suffered a, a huge loss and there's no way to make it up. And Jesus is saying you're blessed when you've recognized that you're poor in spirit and that you have nothing to give God to impress him. In fact, you come to him sinful and helpless and guilty and broken and empty and crying and he gives you a place. And he clothes you in his righteousness. He gives you a standing in heaven and he comforts your heart. You're so blessed. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his grace. And take your sins seriously. Get right with God. You know, the last, next to last chapter in the Bible, in Revelation 21, it says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the people who are in heaven with him. And death will be no more. Neither will be there mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You know, two weeks ago today, we had the service for Maxine. And on the day that, the last full day that Maxine was home was a Wednesday. And she went to the dentist in the morning. She was feeling pretty good. 
And her dentist is this uh, delightful man. He's from the Middle East. He's a Muslim and uh, does great work. And uh, I've gotten to know him. And he came to the service. Now, in a Muslim thinking, you know, your life is kind of on a scale. And if the good outweighs the bad when you die, you're going to heaven. And if it doesn't, and, and that could change any day, if the bad outweighs the good, you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. And God is the judge. And uh, so uh, God is rather austere, and you, you live kind of in fear of, am I ever going to make it? So he comes to memo- uh, Maxine's service, which Maxine had said, don't do a lot of talking. Certainly don't show pictures of my childhood. Don't waste any time handing anybody the mic. Just let the choir sing, which, by the way, you are outstanding, and thank you. And, and praise Jesus. Lift him up. And so it was one of the shorter services we had, but we went in the gym for the, uh, the reception afterwards, and I'm standing with her dentist, and he says, well, that was an interesting service. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever been to a service of somebody who died without Christ, who died having no hope for eternity. So I said, yeah. He said, yeah, it was so joyful. I thought, well, yay. I mean, not only is God Maxine's judge, he's also her father. He's her savior. He's her friend. I mean, more than one person besides me heard Maxine say, I can hardly wait to go to heaven to be with Jesus and to see my beloved husband again. I've wanted to go for 25 years. Anybody else heard her say that? Yeah, I'm not the only one. And she was going to go see Jesus. She wasn't fearing death. She didn't need us to mourn for her. She was going to be in the arms of her beloved. She was going to be free of worry and pain and concern and loss and grief. It was a moment of joy for those of us who know Christ. Are you ready to meet God face to face? Because he's ready to receive you. He's ready to take your grief. He's ready and your mourning and to give you comfort in its place. Blessed are those who mourn, he says, for they will be comforted. So we need to take our sin seriously and deal with it before God. Second part, you know, not too serious about ourselves. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I don't know if you've ever been around anybody who's impressed with their own importance. You know, has gravitas. I, I, I don't know how it happens that in English, but the words meekness and weakness sound so much alike, I don't think you ever get them apart from each other. So I think meekness gets a bum rap because meekness is almost the opposite of weakness. It's the ability to view yourself appropriately, to look at yourself with all your strengths and your weaknesses and your abilities and your talents and your, your, your history and your preferences and then to look at others in the world who are gifted in other ways and, and then to look at God who is perfect and is timeless and to view yourself appropriately. That involves a lot of humility. And sometimes meekness is translated gentle. Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones summed it up this way. He said, meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. It's therefore two things. It is my attitude toward myself, and it's an expression of that in my relationship to others. And a man can never be meek unless he's seen himself as a vile sinner. It starts with us saying, God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Now this little um, beatitude is interesting because Jesus lifted it almost verbatim out of uh, one of the Psalms of David, Psalm 37. Listen to these verses. See if you can see the parallel. Verse 9, For the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So if you, he basically says it twice, but if you look at verse 11, the meek will inherit the land or the earth. And verse 9, those who wait for the Lord will inherit the earth or the land. David is equating the meek with those who wait for the Lord. They're not pushing themselves forward. They're not pushing their own agenda. Instead, they're waiting for the Lord. They're just following the Lord's lead. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. To begin each day in prayer to say, Lord, I'm yours. I will do your work. I'll do it your way. What would you have for me today? And best as you can, follow his advice. Well, in the verse, David is saying, be a fully devoted follower. The verses right ahead of this, verses 4 to 8, actually spell this out. At first, kind of ADD sort of way. I guess read 9 to 11 first, and then look. But wait, look at these verses. Look at verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. So according to the psalmist here, how do you become a meek person? How do you get the right view of yourself and position yourself in life so that you're in the right spot? Well, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Think about the Lord. Talk about the Lord. In, in, infuse Him into conversations. Have things come up. This week I took a watch in to be repaired down at the jewelry store near Costco and uh, doing our Costco ministry and and so I asked the guy how long it would take. I said, because I'm going to Nepal this week. Now, he was a Middle Eastern man, and he looked at me, and he said, why are you going to Nepal? I don't know how, other than just to tell the truth. I said, well, uh, our church has paid for some of God's good news to be translated into two languages that have never had it before, and people have become believers, and we're going to go visit them. He said, oh, my goodness, what church do you come from? He said, because I recognize your voice. I had a baseball cap on, and it was just a, just a play day kind of thing. I said, well, I'm from South Shores Church. He goes, oh, I go to Christmas at the Shores every year. Kevin, who's in the choir, invites me and gives me a ticket. I said, really? He said, I was born in Nazareth, and I went to the, the Christian, the, the Baptist school in Nazareth as a kid. I said, well, praise God. He's a fellow believer. And... So delight yourself in the Lord to have the Lord come into your conversations. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait for Him. Verse 7, fret not. And in case you missed it, verse 8, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, and fret not. I mean, it's impossible to worry and fret not at the same time. You cannot do both. Fretting and worrying are synonyms. They're the very same thing. And some people have turned worrying into an art form. They think that's kind of 
sophisticated to worry. Or maybe spiritual, God can't really handle it. i got to carry it myself. I mean, they want to delay a decision because, you know, I just don't know or I, I want more information or, you know what? A lot of worry is just a lack of trusted God. Just trust God. That's what he's saying. Fret not, he tells us two times here. Fret not. Don't fret. Just give it to God. Have an appropriate view of yourself. You're not the driver. You're just the passenger. And just passage. Is that a word? Just follow. Just ride. Right? He says, be meek and be gentle. In fact, the Lord, the, the Bible gives the award to meekness to Moses. It says Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. You remember Moses was a sl born into slavery in Egypt. He was adopted and raised by Pharaoh's daughter as a prince in the palace. He had a moment of crisis as a young adult, and it caused him to run away and hide for 40 years. God found him. God called him. God gave him a huge task. Go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses didn't want to, but God kind of had his arm twisted behind his back, didn't take no for an answer. And, and so Moses went back and it was the human instrument that God used to free God's people from slavery and to bring them into freedom. He'd taken all kinds of abuse from Pharaoh and from Pharaoh's army in the process. He'd taken all kinds of abuse from those whiny ex-slaves who did, had nothing to say but poor me and why uh, my feet hurt and on and on and on and why can't Moses give us solid leadership, etc. And then it, to top the cake off, two of his key staff, who happened to be his brother and his sister, decide they need to join into the whining and carping and complaining behind his back. It's recorded in Numbers 12. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Anybody have a brother or sister marry somebody they didn't like? Don't, don't raise your hand. Just, just kidding. Has he not also spoken to us too? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. I think that's the funniest interjection of a verse. You go, why would they say it right here? These people are talking behind Moses' back, and what does Moses do? Nothing. He just stays on tack, task doing God's work. God sees it, and look at verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out here, you three, to the tent of meeting. Uh-oh, it's time to go to the principal's office. And God had the three of them there, and he looked at uh, Miriam, and he looked at Aaron and said, Who do you think you are? Moses is my man. He's the only one I talk to face to face. And he had a strong rebuke for Aaron. And for Miriam, she was punished with leprosy head to toe. Why she got it different than Aaron, I don't know. But Moses hadn't said a word in his own defense. He just followed God. He just trusted God. He just relied on God. That's meekness in action. And the, the only thing he did was passionately ask God, please forgive Miriam and heal her from leprosy. And God honored his request. The meek wait for the Lord. The meek don't get all worried. The meek don't get sucked into reacting in anger. They just wait for God to act, for God to lead, and then they follow him. James said it this way in chapter 1, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You know, there's one other person in the Bible who's referred to as meek. And he said it about himself. 
So coming from anybody else, this would sound like a person who was bragging on their humility and, um, and how they achieved it. But it's from the lips of Jesus, and here is his invitation. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. See, the world we live in makes light of its sin, and they make much of themselves. And in contrast, the citizens of God's kingdom take their sins seriously, but not themselves so much. So let's be those who mourn and grieve what would grieve God's heart and be comforted. Let's be the meek who just follow God and will inherit the earth. Let's take Jesus seriously. Let's be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Dear God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons that you tried to teach on the hillside that day. Thank you that we can read them and realize that if we're followers of Christ, that we are already part of your kingdom and uh, we live in that present kingdom. There are so many more rewards that are going to come our way if we just stay faithful, just stay focused, just keep following you. So may we do that the best that we can as individuals, as households, as a church of Jesus Christ in this place. Keep us faithful. Keep us focused on you. Keep us doing your work. May we know your joy in great measure. For where there is sin in our heart, may we have the courage even right now in prayer quietly to confess it and to forsake it and to stand and to live for you. We pray that you will continue to work in our hearts to draw us ever closer to yourself that we will be faithful followers because we love you thank you for loving us and giving us your word that we might live amen